0: Hello, and welcome to Food Near Me. My name is Nayara Jordan, and I'm your host. I'm so excited to dive into the local food scene and share more about how our neighbors are sustaining our communities through food and drink. To kick off our first episode, I'm pumped to be digging into the core of our food supply, our local farms. Our first guest is Alex Polterak, founder of The Urban Canopy, a farm and food distributor on the Chicago South Side. I heard about The Urban Canopy through a friend who started composting with them. I started composting with them shortly after and then learned that they offered so much more, like their CSA, through which I got fresh and local produce delivered all winter long. So, let's get into it. Hey, Nayara. Hey, how are you?
1: Good. Good, how are you?
0: Doing awesome. Again, thank you so much for being here and... uh, appearing in our first episode, I'm very excited to feature Urban Canopy and you. Um, so my first question is, how are you? So, yeah, how have you been feeling during this time of COVID-19 and just even as yourself, as a human being, not as your organization or anything like how, how has that been going for you?
1: Yeah, um, it kind of like before, very day by day, um, dealing with a lot of uncertainty All over the place personally and professionally and then for me it's always been tough to kind of separate the the two sides of i guess the two main sides of my identity (laughs) between personal stuff and work stuff um so yeah it's it's been kind of a roller coaster of emotions with feeling definitely super lows and then at other times feeling you know really proud and, and and aware of just how fortunate and grateful I am of what we do and what I do. Um, so yeah, today's an update. Yesterday was a bit of a down day.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um it's definitely a challenging time for and everyone is dealing with it so differently. Everyone has different jobs, different like family and home lives and it's just yeah, it's definitely not a precedented time I would say for at least for our generation. So well glad to hear yeah. it's been a good day. Um, So I guess, and you were talking about your job, so can you talk a bit more about the Urban Canopy? And um, for those who may not know really what Urban Canopy is, can you talk about just your role and kind of, yeah, what it is, the vision you had and and kind of where that is now?
1: Sure. Um, We call ourselves a a small farm or farming business, Um, really quirky, we're on the the south side of chicago here but what we do is um is pretty multi-pronged um the the basis of the company existing is a pretty key central vision of how do we help create a sustainable and equitable food system and also being aware that those terms um, are sometimes bullshitty <laughs> sustainability and equitability can also be vague or mean something different to different people mm. so we've also defined kind of three mission groups to try to better qualify and quantify and like define what that vision means to us. Um, the first of the mission groups kind of centers around um, what would sometimes be called the people side of things. For us, it, it's more focused on nutrition, health, community, um, and, and kind of like that, that side of wellness. It's still the toughest one for us to quantify or measure uh, for something like hey, we do these dozens of farmer's market food demos of how to prepare stuff, doesn't necessarily capture, you know, how many people that might touch or a kid that tries broccoli for the first time, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But generally that's in uh, the kind of like um, people side of things. The second mission area focuses on environmental stuff. So that one is a lot easier to quantify of both the damage that we do to the environment through our operations of here's how much water the farm uses here's how many miles we've driven and gallons of gas that we've consumed um, but also being able to show that well here's food miles we're preventing by eh, growing here in the city here's the benefit of organic produce by not contaminating our bodies or land um, as well as the compost that we delivered from landfills have a, a very clear environmental benefit Um, and the third category kind of focuses around a local living economy with not just the jobs that we create, or are we a financially viable company, but do we create meaningful work? Um, how do we keep money closer to communities instead of flowing out of our communities, our city, our state, our country, um, and even broadly speaking, um, using money as a democratic tool to support. The values that we believe in of local farmers or uh, more equitable labor practices, um, organic or regenerative growing practices, and, and land use. Um, so those are the, the kind of three mission areas of all of our work. Um, on a practical day-to-day basis, um, it's more like six or seven businesses running together under one umbrella. Um, and... That is it's itself a little bit of a of a difficult thing to to kind of piece together but we call them branches of our business and we have a whole tree analogy for how we're organized with that vision and those missions being the roots of the tree going up to the the branches of the business which um, other organizations may call departments or divisions or something like that but to run through them really fast um, our indoor farm is in the back of the arts community. We grow wheatgrass there for a bunch of juice bars all around the city. Our outdoor farm is in the Englewood neighborhood. Um, we primarily grow to support our farmers markets. And that's the third branch, which are also all over the city, but primarily on the south and west sides. Um, we also have the CSA, Community Supported Agriculture, which you're a member of mm-hmm. our LUXA, Local Unified CSA. We purchase collaboratively from something like 40 or 50 other local farmers, bakers, brewers, vendors, stuff like that, um, and deliver it to hundreds of homes on a weekly basis. Um, we started a processing branch, which is where we take stuff and convert it into something else. Um, you can think of beets, raw beets, and then pickling them, or taking raspberries and making jam something that we try to find like either deals when they're in season or produce that might be thrown out because of surplus or cosmetic issues and find ways to make that more like shelf stable or add value to it in a variety of ways. Um, the sixth branch is distribution, um, which is what we kind of call resale where we might buy it from local farmers it's not locally grown, it has to be certified organic. And then we oftentimes sell that to our juice bars, restaurants, cafes, stuff like that, so that they can source more sustainably. And the last branch that kind of completes the nutrient cycle is um, what we call compost club. And that's a food waste and other compostables collection service um, that runs all over the city in a few suburbs that prevents stuff that shouldn't end up in landfills and instead makes sure that it's composted. And we have a couple thousand members of that now as 12.
0: Cool, yeah, that's that's a lot and that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's really awesome to continue seeing just all the layers of the urban canopy. And did you, when you started all of this, did you know what you were doing? Did you have a background in this? Like how how did it evolve?
1: Um, no, definitely when starting this, um, had a vision and some of what I thought we could do or what opportunities are, but had no background in this. I used to be a a computer engineer and then kind of bored with that and got an MBA. Um, and after the, after completing grad school, started a fellowship with Chicago public schools. And that's what brought me back to Chicago. And it was during that fellowship that kind of learned that. Um, A lot of kids get their only meal of the day at school, and even more, communities really struggle with um, healthy food access as a whole. Cheap stuff is readily available or low quality, but it's all that many communities have or can afford. Um, And kind of brought me back to my experience with my mom, or when we first moved to Chicago, then moving out of the city to get to better schools. She was always involved with my sister and I and cooking for us and making sure we were ready to go. Um, but a lot of kids just don't have that, that privilege or that luck. Um, and that translates into economic mobility, into personal health, um, into a lot of like positives and negatives. And a lot of kids just don't have that equitable shot at a, at a healthy future. And for me, it kind of stuck with me on the, the food side that if you're, you know, a kid that's struggling with food security um, or getting really nutritious meals, not being, like, jacked up on sugar or having other, you know, diabetes or or heart disease even as a kid, you're really not going to be able to focus on schoolwork. And it creates all these, like, rippling and snowballing disadvantages. And after the fellowship ended, just wanted to fight that directly um, and started the farm. Um, the vision has been the same since the beginning. We've maybe tweaked it a little bit, but it's, it's focus has been on sustainability and equitability. Um, even in the first year we had a little rooftop farm on the rooftop, we were composting. We had two beekeepers. Um, we'd started growing wheatgrass inside. Uh, we had our first three CSA members that first year. Mm-hmm. Um, The CSA was already collaborative. We were putting in bread from the bakery one floor down, kombucha from a guy on the first floor, beer later on from another tenant on the first floor, um, and other farmers at farmers markets that we were meeting. So it was like a tiny version of um, some of what we do now, but it's also grown and expanded in in scope as well as as more and more people have kind of joined Urban Canopy and, and adjusted its its direction.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I did the CSA for the first time the winter season and it was awesome. So definitely would recommend that to anyone considering a CSA. And I know you mentioned even a little bit earlier about Luxa and so for those who may not be a part of a CSA or may not even really know what a CSA is, how would mm-hmm. you summarize that? And can you talk about basically what it is and, and the benefit to being a part of one?
1: Yeah, a lot of different questions there, but CSA <laughs> stands for Community Supported Agriculture and our LUXA just as a local unified CSA to kind of stress that it's not just us, it's a group of different businesses, farms, and stuff like that, that are producing what goes into the boxes. But I think fundamentally a CSA is um, like a mutual commitment between the person that's ultimately going to eat the stuff and the person that's either going to grow it or provide it um, to that customer. Um, And it's mutual in the sense that a person often signs up ahead of time and commits to the season or some amount of shares. And similarly, the farmer or the the group of growers or whatever commit to supplying that person their food in return or some fraction of it. Um, And they work in a number of different ways um, in terms of how different organizations choose to do it. There, there are farms that do CSAs strictly from their own produce. That's the traditional model. And over time they have developed for a number of uh, reasons, um, more less traditional CSAs like ours. I think for us, part of it was even from those first three, it was my first year farming. And it was a little bit of a combination of hedging my bets that I didn't know what was gonna grow or if I had the diversity that a customer would want from a CSA no one wants to get, you know, only kale five, <laughs> you know, five weeks in a row and then get carrots for five weeks. So definitely there's a commitment to diversity, um, in what's included. And at the same time I was volunteering in this building and seeing all the other different, uh, options that were available in terms of bakers, brewers, other farmers, that are each kind of in in a silo trying to figure out how to do everything. Each person, each farm, each brewer, bakery has their own social media, their own marketing, their own sales, their own delivery, their own bookkeeping. And they have to do all of those things in addition to the actual farming and baking and brewing. And it was just something that seemed not really viable for each of us to be this Jack of all trade, um, kind of scenario where we're each doing all of those things well. And so the CSA in my mind was how do we collaborate between all these different producers um, to be a little more complete and still create a really good product for for people. Um, our CSA is also home delivered, which can seem like a luxury, but for us, it, it's, it is a combination of convenience, but it's also way more environmentally effective for us to have one driver in one vehicle delivering to 20, 30, 40 people rather than 40 vehicles, each with one driver going to pick up one box. Um, it's just a lot lower mileage and vehicles and all of that is required when stuff is home delivered on dense routes rather than each person going to get it themselves in a low occupancy vehicle like that. Um, And over time, it's just expanded in terms of how we forge relationships with new farms and producers in the past. Definitely when there was just three shares, then eight shares, then 14 shares year after year, it's still, well, can I buy 14 bunches of something from you or 14 pounds of something for each of those memberships? So um, over time, definitely the scale kind of helped get it to where it's more attractive to other farmers or other producers. Um, during this COVID situation right now, a lot of the farmers that we've known for years and new ones that we haven't known, they don't have green city market to go to. They don't have the restaurants that they normally deliver to and nature marches right along. So it's end of April. So spinach, ramps, soon rhubarb and strawberries are are all coming up and ready to go, whether there's somewhere to deliver it or not. Uh, and so we're trying to, we're getting a lot of calls instead people are reaching out to us as alternative outlets. And we want to include all of that. And that's exactly what the Luxa model was kind of built to do to be a collaborative of everyone that fits our values which is oftentimes the, again, the local production. So Luxa's version of local is strictly within 100 miles of Chicago. And during these COVID times, we've also been including organic produce that's not locally grown, um, just to add that diversity and and volume that we need during kind of like the the dead zone in Chicago is kind of January through April.
0: Can you elaborate a little more about what it's been like during COVID-19, just because you guys don't traditionally have a CSA during this time, but have kind of gotten together to launch this produce delivery service in this time.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, It was in in response to COVID largely of how do we help keep people at home and still fed well and healthy um, as well as support local farmers that are growing the stuff because they won't necessarily exist (laughs) for very long if if they can't do what they do and and be paid for it. So kind of connecting the dots. And a lot of the logistics we already had in place of how to take signups, how to route people, how to pack shares, how to deliver it. And it became a compromise. We called it fluxa
0: <laughs> during
1: this time for kind of like internally we call it fake luxa, but externally we've been saying it's flexible luxa
0: <laughs>
1: of where, you know, people during this time, especially folks of privilege, can still go to a grocery store and get, you know, the the organic oranges and bananas and whatever they want. But if people have compromised immune systems or other high risk, you know, that becomes difficult of going to a grocery store. Um, There's people that that's always been difficult for because there's no grocery stores in their communities. Um, And really affordability with, um, unlike the our normal Luxa signups of where there's a set price, you get an early bird rate and then a regular rate and a pay-as-you-go rate for folks that, you know, can't dish out the full amount up front. Um, but with these Fluxa shares, we've done a sliding scale of between 40 to $60. People get to choose one or the other with no, you don't need to prove that you're low income or having a hardship to, to get the $40 rate. People just have naturally been choosing and it's roughly 50-50 every week so far. Um, And then a number of folks have also donated on top of that. And we've been taking those donations and donating um, about a thousand dollars worth of produce every week to a couple of nonprofits, one that works with seniors and another one that's food, not bombs that uh, also puts together boxes for, for folks that that can't pay anything. Um, So that's kind of how we rallied during this time. And that's part of like up days and down days is that. Um, down days is like people are burnt out. It's a lot of extra work. Um, a lot of this has been put together on the fly and every week gotten a little smoother and better, but it's still a lot of extra work, uh, every week. And sometimes we need to talk about that, <laughs> to talk about what's not working and, yeah. and make, make adjustments.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's awesome that y'all are doing that. So I mean, if you hadn't been, if this whole thing hadn't happened, like what is typically done in this kind of off period between the the two Luxus seasons?
1: It's not really an off period. There's no deliveries happening, but during this time, we still have tons of meetings. um Seeds are going in the ground. Everything like you know, when you enjoy a tomato in July, it started in April, mm-hmm. um and all the members that are ready to be delivered to in may and june like that requires a lot of communication up front planning talking to our farmers seeing who's growing what at what prices which markets we're going to be at so with those seven branches it's kind of like we're always busy and it's it's more of like which branch is flexing at which time um but i don't know it used to be a little more cyclical when when farmers markets were kind of like the bigger portion of what we do we were really busy in the summer and less busy in the winter. And it's just, there's the seasonality has kind of like become really tricky when you have seven overlapping seasonalities. Um, Mm -hmm. Wheatgrass, for example, is pretty steady year round, but around the winter and flu season, we have a spike in orders because everyone's trying to beat the winter flu and get their wheatgrass shots. (laughs) Um, Even though we're not, uh, outdoors and doing stuff in January and February at the farm. That's when we're placing seed orders, soil orders, crop planning, negotiating between the farm, the farmer's markets and the CSA for who gets what at, at what price internally. It becomes an interesting negotiation. So it really stay stay busy throughout. There's it. And so this is like an additional thing is these flux of shares, um, there's been less farmer's market activity and that's kind of what's been in a kind of back burner during this time and kind of reallocating some of the staff that would normally be working on that but we've already started hiring new people to try to get caught up early and ahead
0: gotcha yeah that's that's really awesome i definitely have gotten some of those shares during this time so really appreciate that um so, from the eyes of your job, what you do, what's been going on at Urban Canopy, but also you kind of have a wider perspective of what's going on at other farms and other businesses, how do you kind of analyze or what do you see happening in Chicago and in the general just area and world right now in terms of food and food production?
1: So, lots of trends over time, definitely seeing more, um, They're def- over time, been you know, businesses that have come on, So lots of people that want to get into a variety of like agriculture, baking, restaurants, stuff like that. And all of those are just really hard industries. A lot of romanticization, especially around urban agriculture. Like, oh, I'm going to go into this urban oasis and pluck my greens and this and that. And then you realize like, damn, this is really hard work day in, day out really underpaid work like no one when you're invisible that's usually like the the people that don't get paid well Mm -hmm. you know the the cooks the dishwashers the janitors the farmers uh, and not usually the the farmers but the farm labor gets paid shit in this country
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, so i think more awareness over time was already happening and i I don't know the the balance of how a post-covid world will will look at that
0: Currently with within COVID, like how have you seen yeah, what have you seen and how have you seen that just completely change? Like what is going on?
1: Well, there's no farmers markets.
0: Um,
1: so a lot of the people that we work with are scrambling to figure out what to do instead. Home delivery seems to be the the, the answer to that. Um, to try to keep people at home a relatively a relative minority has to do all the work. Um, you know, quote, essential. Um, I don't know what other trends other than that, you know, restaurants are closed. We have tons of our friends, family, customers that are unemployed, Mm -hmm. um, and struggling themselves. Um, we've tried to respond to that with, you know, donating to people that provide food for free, offer sliding scale on the compost club side of things. Um, we offer three months of free services to anyone that's facing a financial hardship. Um, just that, you know, even three months might not be enough for someone to Mm -hmm. get back to their music gig or find a new bar to bartend at or students that are still going to be poor three months from now when they go back Mm -hmm. to school. Um, so we're, we're doing whatever we can, but I don't know, like there's, you know, the health situation now with people indoors, but there's about to be a really tough economic situation as soon as stuff opens up and we're the fortunate ones in the u.s you know when congress is like cool let's pump in three trillion into the u.s economy to try to keep stuff barely afloat yeah (laughs) other countries don't don't have that so we're still fortunate in a lot of ways
0: yeah and and kind of to lean into that i know you mentioned earlier just trying to take it day by day and staying positive so what are some of those things that kind of keep you hopeful and, and positive and working in this time?
1: Um, I don't know. I think that that's maybe a strength of mine as I figure out ways to positively frame or spin everything for myself. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, it, it just feels like a solid work to know that the more time we put in safely growing packaging, delivering stuff means less people need to be on the road or be out and about Um, And that feels really good to, to not necessarily sacrifice, but to serve in that capacity that food is undervalued, but suddenly people are really aware of it. Um, Similarly, to be able to continue our work with composting or enabling so many farmers to sell to Luxa, um, um, just all the different things that we're doing, I find hope in all of that. Um, Our customers and friends have been some of the most supportive with leaving little messages or sending appreciative emails. Um, customers have been donating. So on, on the Luxa side, donating because they're like, hey, I'm doing OK, so I want to help someone else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that's been really positive that through this experience, I've seen uh, a lot of the goodness of humanity. And there's not many people that have, you know, stolen stuff or um, <laughs> been really miss like super like mean <laughs> to us or something you know it's it's mm-hmm. been a lot of positivity and and people really joining together to try to get through this as opposed to um that you know the the really negative side that you can see of like the the mindset of scarcity
0: Mhm. yeah that that is awesome that is awesome so i guess my last question for you is if you want our listeners to leave with three things Regarding urban canopy, local food, just COVID, and and food in this time, just anything that you know we talked about, or even something we might not have mentioned. What, what would you say, or what, what do you say?
1: Uh man, boiling it down to three things is is difficult. Um, <laughs> I don't think I have a good answer. There's too too much going on. Um, I think that. Um, Yeah, maybe one key takeaway is just, like, we're we're now seeing a lot of stuff that was invisible before, so not taking for granted the people that uh, grow your food, the people that deliver your food, the people that cook your food, uh, the people that clean up after you, (laughs) us as a society, not, you know, obviously you or every person, but just being aware of how many people are in, like, that that base of the pyramid, um, being aware of how many women, how many people of color are in what's now considered essential services mm-hmm. that, um, they don't have the option, or at least are not given as many options to stay at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like even the, the healthcare system, like what are systemic changes that we need to make to, um, not just as a response to COVID because COVID will go away, but a lot of the problems will stay the health outcomes that we're seeing huge disparities with people of color minorities or undocumented people like covid highlighted that covid didn't cause that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so i think that those are a couple key takeaways is like being aware of what's caused by covid or what's being like revealed through covid are are different things and um, i think it's mainly the latter that our eyes are being opened to realities that existed well before covid Um, and i think food is a, a really important one of that but certainly not the only one of importance um and there are a lot of really cool people and companies hopefully including urban canopy that are trying to not just respond to the immediacy of what's going on right now and what we can do right now but also building a better infrastructure and and systems and procedures and all the things that we'll need in the future to not just get through this but to just build build something better for the future
0: i really appreciate like you talking about yeah everything that in that last question i mean i can totally relate like my so I I come from an Ecuadorian background. I was born in Ecuador and my family moved to the US when I was a toddler, so I essentially spent my whole life here. But my dad, I mean, when you move here like you you lose if you had any title or education, you lose it because like it's not really valid in the US. So um mm-hmm. my dad who was an accountant in Ecuador is came to New York City to be a janitor. And so Um, he, yeah, I mean, that's been his job since we moved here and like he actually, he, they live back, my family lives back in New Jersey, but, um, my dad had to, he's an essential worker. So he still had to go to New York city every day. Um, if anything, his job increased because of all the increased like cleaning measures that companies took and, um, he got COVID and it was like really hard and thankfully gratefully he is good now he healed he was in quarantine which is awesome um but it's like yeah um thank you it was it was definitely tough especially kind of being at a distance but we're so grateful that he's good now and but it's like so real um especially when it like when you know people especially your own family who who are like going through that so yeah, I yeah. appreciate you mentioning yeah. that.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I don't want to cry. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and uh, I myself uh, came when I was five, we're refugees from the Soviet Union, um, and can relate to a lot of what you're saying. My dad's first job was a pizza delivery driver um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: 30, 30 years ago when I was five. Um, and the first job in my family was my 12 year old sister um, dog walking for Mm -hmm. folks in the neighborhood. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's rough. It can be rough, but it's also, there are hidden, there are a lot of hidden systems at play. Um, and you know, we can go on for a while, but even like, um, you know, it's a bit weird then to come full circle 30 years later and my whole family, except for me are huge Trump supporters. it's just like mind-boggling how how that can happen Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, and how depressing that is to to describe and talk about Um, but yeah a lot (laughs) a lot of a lot of stuff a lot of stuff happening a lot of stuff to unpack and uh, some of it may never really be addressed
0: yeah but yeah i mean really appreciate what you're doing and really appreciate talking to you hearing learning more about you and um yeah do hope that we get to meet in person when all of this is over. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the first episode of Food Near Me. We hope you enjoyed learning more about the local food system. Follow us and keep an eye out for more. In the meantime, check out our Instagram page at Creation. that is N-J-O-Y-I-N-G-C-R-E-A-T-I-O-N, and our website, www.enjoyingcreation.com, where we post recipes and share content about Chicago food and ingredients. Till next time.